0: Welcome to Capital Link's Company Presentation Series.
1: I am Nicholas Bornels of Capital Link, and I would like to welcome you all to Capital Link's Corporate Presentation Series. We are delighted to have with us today the management of Starball Carriers, uh, who is going to make a presentation on their development Strategy and sector outlook. Uh, A very quick uh, mention of the disclaimer that this is not an offer to buy or sell securities. This is not for investment advice or advice of any kind. And this presentation is for purely informational purposes. Uh, Just uh, a quick note on logistics we will have a presentation, a slide presentation, followed by QA. Please uh, submit your questions. Uh, using the Q&A button at the bottom of your screen, and your questions will be uh, answered by the management uh, after the end of their slide presentation. And uh, with this, I'd like to thank you all for joining today, and I would like to turn over the floor to Mr. Hamish Norton, the president of uh, Starbar Carriers. Hamish, the floor is yours. Thank you.
2: Thank you very much, Nicholas. Uh, So let me introduce the team we have online. We have Nikos Reskos, who's chief operating officer We have Simo Spirou, who's Co-Chief Financial Officer, Christos Begleris, Co-Chief Financial Officer, uh, Harris Plakidanaki, Chief Strategy Officer, uh, Konstantinos Nanopoulos, Deputy CFO, Konstantinos Simuntiras, who's uh, Head of Market Research. Um, And um, uh, what you see is our forward-looking statement, disclaimer, uh, and let's go to the next slide. Um, th- this is from our Q3 company highlights. I won't stick to it very closely, but there are a few a few items that are, are helpful. So uh, Star uh, is the largest publicly traded dry bulk shipping company. We have 128 ships, um, about 4- 41 Cape and Newcastle Max, 50 Panamax and Kamsur Max, 37 Supermax and Ultramax, 120 of our 128 ships are equipped with uh, scrubbers, which uh, have been uh, very beneficial both for the environment and for our bottom line. Um, The one thing we take great pride in is the quality of our governance. It's um, uh, not just governance for governance sake, but it's, it's governance because it helps our business. Um, since uh, about 2018, we've doubled the size of our fleet through small MA transactions, which have depended upon having ship owners wanting to take our shares in payment for their fleets. Um, and so we have a very serious board of directors uh, composed of um, Institutional investors, uh, shipping experts, ship owners who have taken shares in the company. Um, everybody you see from Starbulk is an employee of Starbulk. The people who manage our ships are employees of Starbulk. Um, and we don't pay commissions to affiliates. Um as a result of this strong governance, uh, management is incentivized to focus on shareholder returns. Uh, we act like shareholders, we think like shareholders in part because we are shareholders. Um, and and being shareholders, uh, we focused very, very strongly on costs. Um, we have the lowest, average daily OPEX per vessel in the industry. Uh, we have, as far as we can tell, the lowest cash GNA expense in the industry, and we have excellent chartering results. Um, you know, At the same time, with low OPEX and low overhead per ship per day, we have among the highest right ship ratings uh, among our peers, right ship being a, a dry bulk vetting organization. Um, one thing I do want to focus on a little bit is our dividend policy. Um, basically, what our dividend policy calls for is that to the extent we have accumulated on our balance sheet cash per vessel of $2.1 million or more, we basically every quarter pay out the excess over that $2.1 million per vessel as a dividend. Um, uh, that leads, as you might imagine, to some very large dividends. Um, in Q3, for Q3, we declared a dividend of $1.20 per share. Um, uh, and uh, you know, our, our our latest 12 months uh, adjusted EBITDA was just over a $1 billion dollars, 1.03 billion. Our adjusted net income for the latest 12 months was 819 million. And in that same period, we've distributed dividends of $6.5 per share or 669 million in total. Uh, And just for reference, our OPEX uh, for the third quarter was $4,769 per ship per day. And our average cash GNA per vessel was $950 per ship per day. and um, you know, I think if we go to the next slide, I, I, I think that's something you can, you can study. Uh, slide five um, is I- interesting only in so far as uh, it tells you what our coverage was when we reported Q3, but of course, these are Q4 coverages which have gone to 100%. So why don't I introduce uh, Christos Beglaris who will talk you through some of our, our uh, financial information.
3: Thank you, Hamish. Um, as we have reported, as of November 15th, our total liquidity um, is at 417 million. And uh, total gross debt is at uh, 1.36 billion. Um, now we have one hundred thirty. 0.2 million of positive trade working capital and uh, market-to-market derivatives as of September 30th, 2022. During the last two years, we have uh, focused extensively on refinancings and those refinancings um, have had the goal to essentially reduce our cost of debt. And uh, through essentially 800 million of refinancings, we have managed to reduce our average spread in senior debt facilities to close to 1%, um, thereby uh, saving uh, around 13 million per year of um, interest costs. Here we should also say that uh, essentially in uh, Q2 of uh, 2020, we entered into uh, close to 1 billion of uh, interest rate swap facilities at um, an average cost of 46 basis points. And as of today, given that our debt uh, has um, an amortization schedule, uh, the outstanding notional balance is at uh, 755 million, um, again, at an average rate of 46 basis points with an average remaining maturity of 1.4 years. The mark to market of these swaps was at 37.2 million as of October 31st, 2022. So essentially in the last few years, we have taken down net debt from uh, 1.67 billion as of the 30th of September, 2019, to uh, 946 million as of November 22, a reduction of 43%, and cash and liquidity has increased from a low of 117 million in September, 19 to 417 million as of November, 2022. Moving to the next slide. Um, Our COO, Nikos Reskos may want to go through the banker benefit analysis, um, as well as potentially talk about OPEX, which are the next two slides. Thank you, Christophe.
0: The uh, fleet of uh, Starbuck uh, is uh, fully scrubber fitted. We only have a few older ships that are not scrubber fitted. As of uh, June eleventh, 2022, we have repaid in full the scrubber investment, including the off-hire cost of $250 million. And since then, we're basically generating uh, free cash for uh, the benefit of the company. Uh, we are Ending the year, uh, probably around uh, the $300 mark realized uh, scrubber differential, high five differential. You see here as of Q3 was at 311. And we typically consume about 700,000 tons of HSFO per year, always subject to the speed that the fleet will operate in, uh, in the industry. What uh, we also have uh, here is a small sensitivity analysis of what is the benefit, the scrubber benefit for the company on different uh, high five spread levels. We are currently hovering around $200 Uh, per ton. We do the majority of our bunkering more than 60% in Singapore, which is representative of the figures you see here on uh, on the $200 mark. And uh, we have a full utilization of the the scrubber systems on board with minimum of higher time. We believe that due to the continued energy um, crisis and the difference in uh, cracks and uh, the demand for HSFO. We believe that the high five differential will be sustainable throughout uh, 2023. And through uh, typically through the employment strategy we follow on the fleet, capture more than 95% of uh, the differential. Some uh, high level figures on our operating costs. Uh, as of Q3, we have reported $4,769 per vessel per day. As James mentioned, this is still the leading uh, uh, management team in terms of operational costs for uh, that the particular segment, which is dry bulk. Um, our net uh, GNA for Q3 was at $950 per day. And importantly, together with uh, low costs, we still attain the highest ranking on uh, rights rating. This has been consistent throughout the past three years, ranging between number one or two or three out of the 70 largest drawback uh, companies and out of the five peers that we compare ourselves with. So uh, as I mentioned before, uh, the majority of the fleet is uh, scrubber fitted. We are the largest uh, listed uh, dry bulk player in the market. Uh, there is a significant diver- diversification. However, we split typically between uh, the big ships, Newcastle Max and CAPES around 50%, and the rest of the ships are the geared ships, the Ultramax and Supras, and the gearless Panamax and Camstromax vessels. We have embarked on a, on a big plan for uh, continuing the capital expenditure of ballast water systems according to the international regulations. And by the end of uh, this year, of 2022, we are almost done with uh, with the program. We just have three uh, left that will be installed within the next one or two years. Um, operating leverage with 46,700 days in 2022. And on the bottom part of the page, you can also see how is our CAPEX evolving uh, between the end of 2022 and throughout 2023. we have uh, basically uh, Incure the majority of our capex on ballast water and energy saving devices uh, already. Yeah.
2: And uh, I guess, uh, Harris, uh, maybe you want to talk a little bit about our ESG efforts.
4: Of course. Thank you, Hamish. Yeah. So within the scope of our ESG strategy, we are committed to reporting transparently on our ESG performance, uh, while overall contributing to the industry's efforts towards a transition to a sustainable net zero future. Uh, And within that scope for a fourth consecutive year, we have published our annual ESG report. This report provides a transparent and comprehensive account of our ESG strategy, objectives, performance, It is in accordance with uh, Recognized Sustainability Standards. It it outlines our commitment towards the United Nations Sustainable Development Goals, and it also highlights the company's ESG issues, as those have been identified by our stakeholders, both internal and external. Uh, Within uh, our our government's principles, we also report on a wide range of uh, ESG key performance indicators, uh, and we present how uh, the company manages its impact on the environment, people, and society. Uh, now, now um, uh, highlighting some milestones from, uh, from our ESG efforts in 2022, we continue to prepare timely for greenhouse gas emission reduction regulations. In that respect, we use advanced vessel-performing uh, systems, which report uh, the emissions of our fleet. We also leverage technical and operational measures to improve the energy efficiency of our fleet, such as technologies related to hull cleaning, voltage optimization, but also energy-saving devices. We also participate in the research and development on uh, green energy and technology, for example, uh, R&D on carbon capture and storage, but also on uh, on different uh, zero-emission green fuels. And we also participate in environmental alliances, for example, uh, Green Corridors, which aim to assess feasibility of deploying zero emission fuels in specific trade areas of the world. Uh, And as a result of these efforts for a second year in a row, uh, we have participated in the Carbon Disclosure Project, and we have achieved a score of B, which uh, uh, indicates Uh, that our company is at the management level, which uh, means a a maturity of taking coordinated action on uh, climate issues. This means that our rating is above the industry average, which is a C, uh, but also it is above the global average, which again is a C and indicates uh, awareness level. Uh, On the the people's front and following three years um, of the pandemic, we are implementing Employee employee well-being program. Uh, this includes among others, flexible working schemes, mental health support trainings, as well as uh, employee engagement activities. We also continue to focus a lot on the performance management of our people, but also on the uh, professional development of our team's members. We also continue to support our communities. This is done through donations, volunteer work, including but not limited to contributions towards education, sports, the environment, but also support for the refugees who flee into Greece due to the ongoing war. And last but not least, on the governance front, uh, highlights of 2022, uh, we did set up an ESG committee at the board level. We also engaged with climate-related risk assessment, and we continue to invest in high-end digital technology, but also advanced cybersecurity systems. I will now pass on the floor to Costantino Simandevias for um, an update on uh, demand and supply. Thank you.
5: Thank you, Harris. Um, So on page uh, 11, we provide an update on the supply front. The supply fundamentals for the drywall sector are very positive. Uh, Fleet growth uh, during 2022 ended up at uh, 2.8%. And uh, this is an increase of approximately 26 million deadweight um during the year we had a decrease of uh, cape size congestion uh, in uh, july august which to pre covid levels and this had a negative effect on the market and, uh, and especially cape size rates smaller sizes uh, congestion smaller sizes continues to stay at uh, inflated levels and is uh, likely to remain at uh, above pre covid levels due to inefficiencies <clears throat> and redistribution of trades and, and uh, uh, furthermore, on, uh, on the supply from supply side, speed, steaming speeds experienced a strong decrease during 2022 uh, and will and as a result of a higher bunker costs and relatively lower freight rates. Um, looking into 2023-2024, fleet growth is unlikely to exceed the 2%. Uh, with the order book stands at approximately 7% of the fleet. There, had, there was a minimal ordering taking place during the last two years as a result of the uncertainty on future propulsion, the high costs, uh, and the limited yard ER capacity. Um, and looking further down the road and on the medium to long term, we see uh, new regu- the, the new regulations and an aging fleet uh, is expected to tighten supply significantly. And has the potential to create huge renewal needs at post 2024. Let's now turn on uh, to page 12 for a brief update on the demand side. Uh, Derivable trade in tons uh, during 2022 was down approximately 1%. Uh, the weakness was mainly on the iron ore and grain trades due to the strong correction that began uh, mid-2021 in Chinese steel production and the war in Ukraine that affected the export volumes uh, and had, as a result, to strong contraction in grain trade. Uh, Looking into 2023 and 2024, we expect uh, the relaxation of the strict uh, zero-COVID policy and the reopening of the Chinese economy to have a very positive, a strong positive effect for drive octon miles, and should benefit uh, especially larger sizes. Uh, During 2023, at the start of the year, we expect the growth from the rest of the world uh, to be affected from the fight against against inflation, the macro uncertainty and rising uh, interest rates. However, we do believe that this will lead into net positive ton miles and especially uh, during the second half of 2023 uh, as China is likely to bend, to, to take advantage uh, to increase stocks and, uh, um, and result into um, more than 2% uh, growth in, in uh, year over year in 2023 and 2024. Um, and with that... Uh, uh, we can I think we can pass into the Q a sector
2: okay um so we have uh, I see some questions so we have one question on dry docking um uh, it says with with uh, charter rates near lows now will you push forward more of your dry docking costs, uh, will that cause monies for dividends to be reduced? Um, And uh, Nikos, Reskos, maybe you wanna- Sure. I I mean- Talk to that question.
0: It's a a good question because what we did, uh, what the question describes actually what happened in 2022, we decided actually to accelerate dry docks in Q4, which was a pretty soft, Water, despite uh, what we expect of the market. So for, for calendar 2022, we carried out 35 dry docks, uh, many of them with ballast water, which is, as I said before, it's, we're, we're basically done with our program. And for 2023, we have about half of dry docks plan, about 18 dry docks. So we expect the expense to be significantly lower than
2: uh, 2022. Okay, so here's another question probably for for Nikos, um, do you expect CII ratings to have a commercial impact? If yes, how? Um, and I well, guess the answer is yes, but you know, what, what do you think?
0: Okay, I, I'll try and be very brief here because the entire team has been working on CII for the past yeah. year and a half. We have completed the um, uh, mapping of each and every vessel in the fleet so we know exactly where we stand commercially with uh, every single one of our ships so we've done everything that is uh, needed to ensure that they can trade well beyond 2026 which is the first main milestone for the regulation uh to the the specific question we don't think it's going to have an impact today because there is a pretty serious issue with the clause that is being suggested to be incorporated in charter parties so we think there will be some changes uh to the formula calculation because some parts of it do not make sense as to the practical use of vessels when you get penalized if your ships are actually laden rather than being in ballast. So uh, I'm not going to dwell on what uh, the formula is. We think it's going to have an impact if you prepare, and that's what we're doing, is uh, you're going to be able to deal with it uh, as the limits continue to increase over the next Years, but we think it's practically possible even before new technology hits in or carbon ca- uh, capture as uh, Ms. Plakadoniki mentioned before, or new fuels that uh, can make the existing vessels trade well beyond uh, 2026.
2: Okay, and then we have a question. Uh, longer term, how do you intend to renew your fleet orders, vessel acquisitions, corporate acquisitions? Maybe I can take that. Uh right at this moment, we don't see that it's the right time to renew the fleet. Um, we think uh, new buildings are relatively expensive and also don't offer the technology that we would want, um, you know, for the environment uh, of, uh, of decarbonization that's going to be more and more important as time goes on. But um, you know, soon enough, uh, we will have to renew the fleet. and uh, you know we can we can do that through through ordering uh, or corporate acquisitions. Um, and you know we we would intend to uh, you know finance that with uh, w- with equity and 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 some some debt. Um, but uh, you know, we think it's important, that we get the right technology and the right pricing. Um, current BSI stands below 9,000, the lowest over the last two years. Do you think the market will recover after the Chinese new year? Uh, Constantino yeah. Mentiras. Yeah, well, well, the, indeed the,
5: the Supramax market is uh, extremely weak. It's definitely the weakest uh, uh, sector in uh the dry bulk industry right now, and especially in the Pacific, in the Atlantic, the market is slightly better, on um, uh, the these average levels that were mentioned. Uh, we do believe that uh, there will be a recovery after the Chinese New Year, and the supramaxes, uh, and the gear trades. Um, this it, dry bulk is extremely seasonal, and during the first uh, half, the first quarter, and especially during f- February, this is the weakest spot uh, of uh, demand seasonality, especially on the smaller sizes. uh, The the demand starts to go through its seasonal downturn. It begins around November and bottoms out by February. Uh, This year, the Chinese New Year is at the end of January. So we we do expect that demand is going to increase as we uh, enter uh, the uh, Latin America grain season. And we have a recovery of minor bulk trades and minor bulk consumption. So uh, we do expect the, the smaller sizes to 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 to,
2: to recover first uh, over the next two two months. Okay. And then we have a question: what supply contraction is expected from CII compliance uh, up until 2026? And I think the answer there is 2026 is probably early were there to be a supply contraction the fleet from compliance with CII. But uh, Nikos, do you, do you agree with that? Um, I think Nick. I think, I think uh,
0: Konstantinos also has uh, some data points. We feel that uh, until 2026, we will probably see uh, the older, uh, less uh, efficient vessels that were built uh, in the early 2010, 2012, um, the ships that have uh, mechanical engines and uh, very poor hull forms, that uh, whatever you do to them, whether it's uh, fitting an energy-saving device or play, putting silicon paint, will not solve the issue and the only solution is to trade at a significantly lower speed that becomes commercially unattractive so we believe that uh, assuming there's some balance found to the formula hmm. and that there is a widespread acceptance of the of the clause for trading uh, then we're going to see uh, a big number of uh, these older supras um and uh, and capes uh, go but uh costadina maybe you want to add a couple yeah, of comments here.
5: i think uh, nico I, I agree with your comments it's going to be um a, a speed cap uh, some vessels are already slow steaming so this is likely to lead uh, into whenever the market uh, increases substantially and demands uh, speeds to go up these vessels won't be able to speed up and will have a cap and it will mm. affect uh, uh, especially um, Panamaxes. It will also affect the older uh, VLOC fleet, so it will also benefit CAPES indirectly. Um, and this is likely to start in a couple of years from today. Yeah.
2: And then we, we have a question. What is your view of share repurchases when the shares sell at a discount to NAV? And you know the answer is, if we can sell ships at a price which is significantly higher than the price at which we can effectively buy back shares, we will do that. Um, but we we don't intend to use cash from operations to buy back shares because we want to defend the dividend. But, um, you know, we are in principle happy if, if we can sell ships at a at a big price and buy shares at a at a lower price, that in practice is, is usually hard to do. But you know we've done it and and we will do it again. If if the if the opportunity should arise. Uh, and then here's a, probably another one for Nikos Reskos. How should we think about the portion of the fleet that could attain a D or an E CII rating? in 2023, and I think that is probably referring to the whole dry bulk fleet.
0: We have seen uh, various studies uh, on this uh, particular question, primarily generating, generated from uh, classification societies. Uh, well, as far as Starbucks is concerned, we should strongly say that we have no vessels that will fall below a CRD on CII, and uh, more importantly, we'll be able to maintain it well beyond 2023. I think um, derating and below for 2023 is probably relative as to how uh, this will be implemented and supervised, meaning how each company will report its uh, its emissions. I think if we push this question forward to 24 and 25, I think we could see at least 15 to 20% of the dry bulk fleet being uh, below at the rating. And again, I turn the question to Konstantinos who also follows the data very closely.
5: Yeah, no, Nico, that was exactly the data It was between 15 and 20%, according to different studies, but those are based on various assumptions that are not uh, uh,
2: certain yet. Yeah. And then we have a question, what vessel types are of most interest for fleet expansion? And the answer is we really like our fleet mix we we like having about a third of our ships supras and ultras about a third panamax and camster max and about a third cape and newcastle max so that when we expand our, our target frankly is to try to keep that same sort of vessel mix obviously on an acquisition by acquisition basis we can't do that but uh, you know on average over a period of time that's what we would want to do. And then any consideration in a hostile takeover if you can buy vessels at below NAV? And um, the answer to that question is, it's almost impossible to do a successful hostile takeover in the shipping industry uh, because the board of directors of the target will always correctly say, you should give me net asset value and you should give it to me in cash. And um, you know it's, it's very hard to overcome that objection. So, you know, in, in theory it's a great idea but in practice it it just almost never works. Um and then I see a question for Constantino Tiras, what percentage of the dry bulk demand for iron ore and coal shipping is derived from China?
5: Okay, uh, that's
2: a good question. Uh, iron ore almost
5: 80% of iron ore that is being exported ends up ends up in china and china is responsible for about 24 25% of coal most of the iron approximately 80% again of the iron ore trade is transported on capes so you do understand how important the iron ore markets are for the
2: cape trade the cape uh, sizes Okay, and then uh, we have a question. Will Starbucks cargo carrying capacity decrease to comply with CII? And uh, I think that's a Nikos Resco's question. Sure. The
0: answer is no. What we're doing is we're making sure that we can trade the entire fleet well above the present operating speeds of the fleet, which means that we cannot just – we do not only comply – with CII, but even if the uh, dry bulk market's average speed increased, we would still comply. We're making sure that uh, we're taking all the measures on the fleet, that we can actually achieve that.
2: And let's see, Constantine Nanopoulos, I think you have a few questions.
4: Yeah, I mean, one was uh, more General, which I think we've answered overall dry bulk market prospects, mm. um, but maybe more specifically, Cosandinos uh, could to talk a bit on on what we see on the on the Chinese opening and how that affects kind of short term and and second yeah. half of 23.
5: Yes. Uh, well. Uh, they, they, it's clear that the Chinese have uh, pulled off uh, the strict zero policy. Uh, there, the last one month, we the, there has been a, a major wave of COVID cases, and there has and there is a lot of uncertainty uh, on that front. So this uh, it has indeed affected demand. As we mentioned before, we do expect demand to be uh, to be relatively low during the first quarter for seasonality reasons, but also as we have the Chinese New Year approaching. Um, There has been uh, uh, significant stimulus announced to support uh, the real estate market. Uh, This is something that we expect to to have a stronger uh, effect uh, as we approach uh, the uh, second half of uh, 2023 um, it's worth n- noting, though, that uh, since mid-November, Chinese imports are, have experienced a major rebound. And we are uh, definitely at the early stages uh, of uh, the demand recovery. China in uh, mid tw- uh, mid-2021 mid went through uh, a major slowdown, uh, I mean, especially on the crude steel industry. Uh, their production was down 10%, which is an enormous amount. And... Uh, uh, during the last two years, they've mentioned that um, they've postponed the cap on steel uh, emissions from 2025 to 2030, and on for building materials. In our view, this is an indication that steel production has not peaked yet, and this provides a significant upside over the next years and a
2: very strong uh, uh, demand case for the dryback industry. And now I, I see another question for Constantino Simentiris: How are average trip lengths changing? And I suppose that could apply either to Starbulk or to the fleet as a whole.
5: Yeah. Well, this uh, 2022 was a very mixed uh, year because we, there has been uh, there have been many uh, inefficiencies. And one of events at the start of the year, we had uh, the Indonesia export ban. Then we the war in Ukraine. Uh, however, there have been uh, supply shortages on the export front uh, that had a negative effect on demand. Uh, we've seen uh, shorter trips, uh, especially uh, on the iron ore front, as there was uh, Brazil had underperformed this year. Uh, and uh, we see we are now seeing a redistribution, resulting in longer trips uh, on the coal on, on coal trade as Europe uh, as we have disruption on the Russian to Europe to, uh, trade, and this also applies on uh, steel products uh, trade. Um, at the same time, uh, there has been a strong expansion of exports uh, of, of bauxite from Guinea, with a strong positive effect. Uh, but uh, because of the war in 2022, we had the, such a major loss of grain trade, which is a very, uh, it's, a, it's a, one of the cargos that produces the highest uh, tonne miles. Uh, so the distances during 2022 were mixed depending on the side, but net negative. Going forward, we do expect that this will be one of uh, the, the factors that will benefit the market. Uh, because uh, we expect that the Chinese uh, Chinese imports are
2: much more uh, ton-mile intensive. Okay, so and another question has come in. It says the first quarter of the year is usually the lowest quarter due to Chinese New Year, but will this year be different as China reopens or will China not reopen in time? Well, I...
5: I The reality is that first quarter of every year is not, is the lowest quarter and especially in February, not only due to China, it's also because of seasonality on the export side. I mean, uh, Brazil exports uh, of iron ore um, go down by almost 20, 25, uh, almost 20% between uh, December and February. Uh, Then you have uh, disruptions on coal exports uh, in uh, Australia, and Indonesia affecting January, February. And we are also be- in between grain seasons. So uh, especially this year, we had a relatively weak uh, US grain season uh, and the loss of the Ukrainian, Ukrainian ton miles. So uh, but because of it, during January, February, the uh, North American season transitions into the South American season, this is also another reason why volumes are low. Uh, I think that uh, going into uh, March, April, the export seasonality will assist significantly. uh, And this is something that will lead in higher demand irrespective of how strong the Chinese
2: reopening will be. Okay, and then we have a question for Nikos Reskos. What is the difference in OPEX between different ship sizes?
0: I mean, uh, for, the, uh, for the Starbuck fleet, uh, the main differences are basically geared ships that uh, require more expenses for maintaining cargo gear and the gearless ships. So uh, everything else is relative to the age of, uh, of the vessel, of course, and the shipyard build. So um, if, we're gonna, if we're gonna say that, uh, let's say the average uh, age of uh, the Starbuck fleet is around 9.7 years, and we have Supramax, Ultras, Camsars, Capes, and Nukes, Uh, I would say that the range is between, uh, at least for uh, Q3 um, uh, 2022, is uh, between 4,000 and 4,300, 4,600. That's how I would split
2: the three groups uh, in general. And and so, in fact, in fact, a small ship, a, a supermax, can cost more to run than a cape. Right, especially if it's uh, if it's uh, geared, correct. Yeah. And so now I think probably this is likely to be the last question we're gonna have time to answer, but um, uh, for Constantino Simentiras, this is looking at your crystal ball, uh, we have, I guess, two questions. Can you speak about spot versus time charter rates for the various vessel types? And most importantly, how do you see this evolving over the next 12 months? And together with that, what is the single biggest risk for the sector in
5: 2023? Okay. Um, so on the first question on the spot versus time charter, um, I think that uh, the last two years, where there have been uh, limited chances to to, to 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 charter out the the fleet on, on longer on long-term time charters without having to accept a major discount, as the forward curve has always traded at a steep backwardation. Um, rates uh, right now are uh, very low. In uh, spot rates have corrected substantially compared to. Uh, seven months ago. Uh, however, uh, we do believe that the FFA curve uh, is a good representation of uh, the trends that are, are coming. Uh, we do expect uh, a strong recovery uh, and, uh, and uh, above FFA rates during Q- Q2 and Q3, especially on the smaller sizes. And as the year progresses, we do believe that uh, CAPES uh, will strengthen and overperform smaller sizes and uh, especially compared to 2022. Um, and this will be as Brazilian ton miles come back into seasonality during the second quarter. Uh, cape's demand usually peaks around June and then again around November, December. So we should have a very volatile market with speaks, with uh, rallies and corrections, which will also be. Uh, related both to the demand side, but also to ballast flows, VLOC flows and various other factors that affect the market. Uh, single biggest risk for the sector in 2023, well, I think that uh, the most difficult uh, factor is always the demand side, but I think that also people do not place a lot of uh, uh, focus, especially on the driver uh, side on uh, oil prices and the effect that bunker costs have on uh, dry bulk. Uh, So a very strong recession in the rest of the world, pushing oil prices to very low levels, probably would be the biggest risk I see. Uh, On the other hand, I think that uh, this has a very, has a a relatively low probability of taking place mainly due to the Chinese coming
2: back. Yeah, and I think probably it's counterintuitive for many people, but high oil prices are very good for the dry bulk business because they basically tend to put pressure on the fleet to slow down. And that is in effect reducing the size of the fleet. So we like oil prices to be as high as possible. And I think we're out of time. So thank you very much, uh, Nicholas, and, and the team at Capital Inc. Thank you.
1: Well, thank you very much for a great discussion. Um, And uh, in closing, I would like to uh, remind everyone that this presentation will be available for replay. So we look forward to more people visiting and uh,
0: listening to this uh, great discussion. Thank you very much to everybody.
2: Thank you.